On February 6, 2022, as Denmark celebrated its freedom from a deadly pandemic that had affected the world for the past two years, no one could have anticipated that the country would soon be confronted with one of the most horrifying murder cases in its history. A 23-year-old student, simply looking to enjoy a night out after being cooped up at home for an extended period, found herself in one of the Alberg's liveliest nightlife districts. Assuming that the area would be bustling with people and with the presence of multiple CCTV cameras, she thought she was safe. But when she failed to return home in the morning, her disappearance quickly became the talk of the town. What was supposed to be a fun night out became a serious murder crime, which shook the citizens of Denmark. Welcome to Shades of Macabre, a true crime podcast that aims to bring you some of the most gruesome murder cases from across the world. This week, we dive into the murder investigation of Mia Swen, exploring the remarkable efforts of law enforcement. We'll also hear how they successfully apprehended the suspect within a week, and take a closer look at the trial, which featured some unusual witnesses. The year was 2022, and the world had witnessed two devastating waves of a global pandemic. People were eager to return to their normal lives and celebrate their newfound freedom after being confined within their four walls for so long. Opinions on the pandemic varied; some despised it, while others made peace with it. However, it was evident that people wanted to step outside. Breathe in the fresh air and enjoy life once more. Mia, a 23-year-old nursing student, was known for her beauty, constant smile, and outgoing nature. She was the type of a person who loved to let loose on the dance floor. She was also in a happy relationship with a boy, whom she had met at a party about one and a half years ago. On the evening of February 6, 2022, Mia and her friends decided to enjoy a night out in Yumfo Anegad, a lively street filled with restaurants, discos, and pubs located in Alborg, a city in the North Jutland district of Denmark. As the night progressed and after visiting various bars, Mia and her group of friends became intoxicated. At approximately 4 or 5 a.m. Mia informed her friends that she wanted to head home, exchanged farewells, and left on her own. Her friends assumed that she had left for home, but instead, Mia continued to visit different bars throughout the rest of the night. Around 5:50 a.m., Mia arrived at Club Wolf with a beer in her hand. When asked for identification at the entrance, it proved challenging for her to retrieve her ID. as she was drunk and had a drink in her hand as a result the security personnel allowed her to enter the club inside the owner 
Lasse Bojeland Matson noticed Mia conversing with the DJ. Lasse approached Mia and inquired if she had purchased the drink from the club, to which she denied. After a few minutes, all the lights in the club were switched off, prompting everyone to leave. At approximately 6:02 a.m., Mia was observed leaving the club and later walking towards a store called Netto, which is one of the largest grocery chain stores in the country. According to both CCTV footage and eyewitness accounts, it is believed that she was heading towards the store to locate a bus stop and wait for the morning bus. But in the same CCTV camera, a black car was captured entering the frame and stopping in front of Mia, who started talking to the driver and then entered the car. This interaction and the CCTV footage marked the last time Mia was seen alive. The nightclub owner found himself among the few who had last seen Mia before she disappeared. As Mia did not reach home for the entire day, her family quickly informed the North Jutland police about her disappearance and they quickly sprung into action. On the morning of 7th February, Monday, the North Jutland police officially announced their search for Mia Swen. They reached out to the local media sharing images of Mia from the night she went missing and appealing for any information that could aid in locating her. Additionally, they released a still image captured from the CCTV footage seeking information about the vehicle in which Mia had been seen entering the grocery store. The police had already received more than 100 tips from concerned citizens willing to assist in her case. During a police press conference, it was revealed that they were unable to identify the make of the car from the footage. It remained unclear whether Mia had willingly entered the vehicle. At that point, the authorities were considering the possibility that Mia had entered the car voluntarily. Despite their efforts, the police were unable to track the exact movements of the car and where it went once Mia entered it. As 24 hours had passed since her disappearance without any contact from her, the police grew increasingly concerned that she may have become a victim of a crime. On Tuesday, February 8, 2022, the police once again reached out to the media, sharing their progress from the previous day and requesting assistance from the city's residents. They asked for any CCTV footage taken between 3 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sunday. that was 6th of february and encouraged people to provide party photographs from the same day as they meticulously reviewed the cctv footage the police successfully identified the car's registration number prompting them to quickly began the process of identifying the car's owner at this point it was established that the car in question was operating as a pirate taxi meaning it was not regulated by either a private entity or the government making it challenging to trace it back to its owner on february 9th at 11:20 am the north jutland police apprehended two suspects in the case both were 36 year old and had been childhood friends emerging as prime suspects in mia's disappearance 
Deputy Investigator Frank Olsen also noted that a similar car to the one seen on the night of Mia's disappearance had been located. The police had narrowed down their search to two addresses, one in Ostervo and the other in Flonsdorf. Upon interviewing the neighbors and families of the arrested individuals, they vouched for the innocence of both the suspects, describing them as calm and non-violent. The police also identified a third location, a summer house near Saltum, with a connection to one of the accused, but no significant information was obtained from that site. At the three mentioned locations, Forensic experts and technicians were present, searching for any evidence that could lead them to Mia. It was at one of these three locations that the police located the black Volkswagen car in which Mia had been transported on the night of her disappearance. Under the Danish justice system, individuals accused of murder must be brought before a judge within 24 hours of their arrest. During this appearance, the judge assesses the available evidence to determine whether the accused should be held in custody or not. So, on February 10th, the two men were brought in for a constitutional hearing where they both pleaded not guilty to the murder. During police interrogations, there was no indication that they had any prior connection with Mia. However, the judge decided to remand one of the men for an additional four weeks, while he decided to release the other man, which was strongly opposed by the prosecution. At the time of this hearing, Mia's whereabouts remained unknown. There were many questions surrounding her fate. Was she kidnapped, transported to a distant part of the country, or perhaps made the decision to hitchhike to an unknown location? Answer to these questions remained unknown. Mia's family, friends, and the dedicated police investigators all clung to the hope that wherever she might be, she was still alive, and they continued to hold on to that glimmer of hope amidst the troubling circumstances. However, the atmosphere of hope abruptly turned into despair on the evening of February 10th at 8pm when the North Jutland police held a press conference. During this, they revealed that they had discovered multiple body parts and were actively engaged in the process of recovering all the remains. These remains were suspected to belong to Mia's twin. The discovery was made in Donningland Storskov, a forested area. The police appealed once again to the public for any information related to the time Mia went missing, specifically between 6.30 a.m and 7.30 a.m. on 6th of February. Two days after this press conference, on 12th of February, six days after Mia's disappearance, the police confirmed that Mia's men was found dead in Droningland, Storskov. They stated that after forensic analysis of the body parts that were found two days ago, it was determined that they belonged to Mia. Most of her body parts were retrieved, with only a few missing and were never found. According to the toxicology report, her blood alcohol level was 1.78, which determined 
that she was completely intoxicated when she entered the car. The police put together a theory about what happened on 6th of February. Mia, under the influence of alcohol, was picked up in the Volkswagen Black Golf 2015. She was taken to a wooded area at Hammer Baker and was repeatedly sexually and physically assaulted. According to the forensic analysis, she was killed between 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. on 6th of February. Later, the killer managed to cut the body into several parts and buried it at various locations in the forest area. And if this was not enough, he also tried to dissolve the body using a drain cleaner and caustic soda. As the location was highlighted during the police investigation, they further sent their forensic teams to all the locations. As the body parts were being analyzed, police reached out to several recycling units in the city and closed their warehouses to find any more belongings of Mia or any other body parts. Once the police dived deeper into the history of the accused men, they found out that he had been found guilty on seven counts of sexual assault. He would fit video cameras in different bedrooms and bathrooms and would take videos of women who entered those rooms. He would take their videos whenever they entered to change their clothes or use the washroom. Among his victims, the youngest was identified at 14 years old. He saved all of those videos on a hard drive, which became an integral part of defense for the trial. And the way police found out about these videos was a petty game of karma. The accused stated that a thief had broken into his house and had stolen his electronics, including his hard drive and computer. Now I don't know exactly how the hard drive reached the police station but the guy was soon arrested for the deed. And this is not the only criminal background. 10 years before the murder, he was previously sentenced for indecent assault and for cutting the brake pipes of his ex-girlfriend's car. When the mother of the ex-girlfriend decided to use the car, she could not stop it. And upon police investigation, they found all the tools that he had used to cut the pipes from his house as well as his fingerprints on those tools in a completely different scenario he was also found stalking a 16 year old girl and even left his semen on her window remember the other guy who was found not guilty and was free from the case well about a decade ago the two posed as police officers complete with fake police badges during a two day event of a football tournament on the first day they managed to blend in convincingly using their fake badges and radios however on the following day a security guard or a genuine police officer became suspicious of their behavior and confronted them in response both of them fled the scene as more police were alerted about the two men they eventually apprehended one of them and later captured the second taking them into custody at the police station as the case moved closer for the trial the citizens of the country began to draw attention to the lack of surveillance cameras in areas known for their vibrant nightlife 
A survey conducted on February 10th and 11th of 2022 by Megaphone, a Denmark-based market research company, revealed alarming statistics. The survey found that approximately 61% of women expressed their fear of being assaulted when walking alone during the evening and at night, and a significant 68% of women admitted to avoiding solo travel during those hours. The primary solution proposed by citizens was an increase in surveillance, particularly in and around nightlife areas. The argument put forward was that more security cameras could serve as a deterrent to potential criminals. Knowing that they were being watched, criminals may think twice before committing a crime. These cameras would assist law enforcement in quickly identifying and apprehending criminals whenever a crime is committed, thereby enhancing overall security and safety in these areas. The issue of pirate taxis was a recurring point of discussion during this case. Pirate taxis are appealing to some people because they operate outside of traditional market regulation, allowing them to set their own rules, which can sometimes be illegal. Due to the potential cost savings, students and others are often tempted to use these taxis for transportation. Mia's case is not the first instance where a crime involving a pirate taxi has occurred. In 1996, a 46-year-old man named Finn Jensen allegedly entered a pirate taxi from a casino and was tragically murdered shortly after. Once all the details about the primary suspect became knowledgeable, except for his name, people were confident that he was the one behind Mia's murder. On June 7th, 2023, the trial for Mia's case commenced in the Alborg court. The court proceedings involved three judges and six jury members, who would collectively determine the fate of the accused. During the trial, the accused admitted of having dealt with Mia's body, but pleaded not guilty for her murder. This is what happened on 6th of February, according to the accused. He recounted seeing Mia standing at the bus stop in front of the grocery store, without a jacket, exposed to the cold weather. Being familiar with the bus timetable and aware of the considerable wait ahead, he approached her in his car and offered her a ride. Mia agreed to the offer and got into his car. She didn't provide a specific address, but repeatedly mentioned the word sport or sports, suggesting that she lived in a proximity to a sports facility complex. When questioned by the prosecutor about Mia's behavior, the accused described her as humorous and talkative. According to the official police indictment and the forensic report, it was believed that she was intoxicated, but the accused refused, stating that she was completely in her senses. During the car ride, the accused asserted that there was a mutual sexual attraction between him and Mia, and they engaged in sexual activities within the car. However, the prosecution denied his claim, alleging that the accused had forced himself on Mia. A GPS device was discovered in the black car, which proved useful for the police in retracing the route taken by the vehicle on the day of Mia's disappearance. 
After the accused had taken Mia into the car, they headed to Hammerbaker, a hilly forested area. During the journey, the car made three stops. Although the exact events during these stops remained unclear, at different stops, the police found items such as a hair elastic and keys that belonged to Mia. When questioned by the police about what had transpired with Mia, he stated that both him and Mia had exited the car during the second stop of their trip. While walking in front of the suspect, Mia tripped and fell forward on the forest floor. The accused hurried to her side, but she was lying motionless. When he inquired if she was all right, Mia responded with a yes. Mia also had a bag with her, and when she fell, the strap became entangled around her neck, becoming caught on something on the ground, which resulted in pressure being applied to her neck. The accused also mentioned that he refrained from calling emergency services because he wanted to avoid getting entangled in a legal case. According to the autopsy performed by Esor Hedegaard Thompson from Aarhus University, it was reported that due to the condition of Mia's body, the exact cause of her death could not be conclusively determined. However, it was suggested that she likely died as a result of an obstruction of blood circulation to her head, possibly through suffocation or chest compression which hindered her ability to breathe properly. The presence of caustic soda had affected the body to the extent that not every body part was useful for gathering evidence. During the trial, the defense attorney, Matt Bendix, presented evidence regarding the accused's activities. It was revealed that on February 6th, the accused had driven to Gem Og Fix a chain of hardware stores in the country. On February 7th, he visited two other stores of the same brand on his way home from work. During these three visits, the accused had purchased a significant list of items, including 15 bottles of caustic soda, two bottles of chlorine, a bottle of drain cleaner, a painter's uniform or overalls, six pair of rubber gloves, 19 buckets and rubbing alcohol. This extensive list of items strongly indicated that he had planned to dismember Mia's body. The accused, however, maintained his defense, asserting that Mia had died when she fell on the ground, with the strap of her bag becoming entangled around her neck, causing pressure and ultimately leading to suffocation. However, the bag itself was never found throughout the entire duration of the case. During the trial, both prosecutors presented an array of evidence that strongly indicated the accused's guilt. The courtroom battle was not centered on proving his innocence, but rather on securing the maximum possible sentence for him. A psychological examination was conducted on the accused, revealing concerning traits. The report stated, that the accused lacked empathy and understanding for other people. Words like egocentric and narcissistic were used to describe his personality. In an unexpected twist, the prosecutors decided to call three witnesses who would serve as character witnesses for the accused, 
while such witnesses are relatively rare in Danish courts and are more commonly seen in the western legal systems the prosecutors chose to present three former friends and a colleague who could provide insight into his life and behavior one notable witness was a childhood friend who had been arrested in connection with this case when questioned about the accused's behavior his friend mentioned that he could not provide any information about his behavior during the time of the murder on the final day of the trial the accused whose name was finally revealed to the media as thomas thompson was found guilty of attempted rape strangulation and dismembering mia's body parts while people in the courtroom hugged and cheered in response to the verdict thomas remained completely still and showed no reaction to the judgment the court also dismissed the notion that thomas had picked up mia intending to give her a ride home evidence presented during the trial indicated that mia had not willingly entered the car contrary to the initial police findings signs at a location within the forest suggested that mia had attempted to escape from thomas given his confession to dismembering her body the court concluded that he was willing to go to great lengths to eliminate any evidence among the jury members four voted for a life sentence while two voted for a 16 year prison sentence and all six favored to detention it's important to note that detention in this context is a legal measure applied when a convicted individual is considered exceptionally dangerous this type of sentence assumes that it is necessary to use an indefinite measure to prevent the convicted person from committing further crimes as a result the court sentenced thomas to detention thomas will serve his sentence at hosted wester prison where he will be incarcerated for a minimum of 3 years subsequently each year the correctional service will assess whether the punishment should be extended or not in a statement signed by mia's father mother and sister they conveyed their deep sorrow at the loss of their fun loving and considerate daughter despite her absence they are determined never to forget her in this statement they also expressed we hope that children and young people remember that mia's death is a work of a madman and is not worthy of a general fear do not be intimidated by them for living the fantastic and free life that is possible in denmark If you want to listen to more episodes of Shades of Macabre, just press on that follow or subscribe button wherever you are listening. You will be notified of the new episodes released every Friday. We will be back next week. Till then, take care and stay safe.